What's happening, Renegade Coaches in the building? Yo, how y'all doing out there? It's Renegade Coaching coming at you. What's going on, What's man? What's going on, Ear Doctor? Everything's good. How y'all out there? A new dashiki this week. You know what I'm hey, saying? Hey, you know. Definitely got, definitely got a new dashiki. I'm, I'm wondering where he's getting this uh, hookup. You know they had uh, the rebellion and whatnot. We got to just check and see if any uh, <laughs> African <laughs> markets or Asian shops were. Asian shops, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, right. if any Asian shops were oh, ransacked. Wow. You know what I'm saying? This dude got a new dashiki every week. I see him with like a big it, rock and, and hitting the like, storefront of the, like the Asian five and dime. Yeah, yeah, Having yeah. 400 of those. <laughs> I, I, it's funny because I saw this thing. I saw this thing on the news. I think it was uh, uh, Chang's Fashions, and uh, I see that uh, somebody had broke in and whatnot. And I come to think of it, they had this shadowy figure that looked like Mr. Magoo, and now they're uh-huh. knocking. <laughs> you just saw a peanut head running away, and and Kente yeah, shaking up and down like, on his shoulder, looking like he's doing long. I like, I like your I like your Billy Ocean denim jacket though. That's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Billy Ocean. That was cute. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Anyway, hey, so who we who we doing today? Who we doing? I don't know what you talk about, man. Who's zooming? Who? What you into? Yeah, but we do got a we we got a, a an extra special show. We're going to investigate yes. like uh, some of the, some of the, the killing, the assassination, and the government's involvement potentially in the killing of Tupac Shakur and yes. other famous. Some of the stuff is not uh, what what some might consider conspiracy theory, like, but the government's. Um, a continual uh, targeting of black leaders. And our guest tonight is focused on Tupac Shakur and some other black leaders. Yes, yes. We're going to be talking to John Potash, who is a author of a couple serious books. We're going to talk to you all about the books when we get back. But um, he's going to, uh, he also has a documentary as well. But he's going to rap, rap to us about some of his theories and some of his research around Tupac Shakur, whose born date will be coming up. Um, Next week, I think the yeah, 16th. I think he's June 16th. Yes, I think, what is it, 1971? I think it would be yeah. June 14th. Juneteenth uh, is the 19th, brother. Yes, Let's brother, get it straight. Yeah. If you're going to wear the daishiki, yeah. Yeah. he's going to date right. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. Come on. Uh, I, I, I celebrate Kwame the whole Ball month. Day. I'll, be forgetting, <laughs> I'll be forgetting how y'all get down. This cat right. Forget how we get down. Oh, okay. <laughs> His cat right here. He ain't know we was free. But anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, he just threw me all the way to fuck off. I don't know what he was. <laughs> but anyway, my man's birthday would have been June 16th. And I believe he'd have been 49 years old this year. So mm-hmm. the show was timely. So we're yeah, going to yeah. get, uh, you know, some, some things about counterinsurgency, COINTELPRO, and what's going on today. Because there's a lot of bullshit going on right now, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we know, especially here in Atlanta. You know, it's been off yeah. the chain. You got folks out there dancing with the National Guards. You got... Uh, uh, yeah, a little voter suppression happening. Oh yeah, voter yeah. voter voter suppression indeed. Again, mm-hmm. it's just like forget deja vu. This how they it's called how they do. That's you know exactly <laughs> how they do when you got mm-hmm. how they do in the in the office or whatever. So we got the cops apparently breaking into Bobby Rush's office and chilling. We're gonna maybe get in that a little bit. Man, yeah, they're kicking the Willie Bobo up in Bobby Rush's office. <laughs> For those who don't know, Bobby Rush is a former Panther, um, mm-hmm. former uh, what was he? Deputy, not deputy chief. A defense. Deputy minister of defense. Of, That's right. Of Chicago. You know what I mean? And now he, you know, later on he became a politician and he forgot that he was a part of the Black Panther Party. However, the pigs, 13 of them, decided to break into his office and they was like, look, 
we're going to turn our man Bobby Rush office into a pig's pen. You know what I mean? So they was kicking it, eating his popcorn. You know what I mean? They was had his they feet kicked up. They went to sleep. You know what I mean? They, they was chilling. So Bobby came in the next day and was like, oh, I'm appalled. They had a party without me in my spot. So, you know, we're going to talk about that. Anyway, yeah, right. so it's a lot going on. Listen to Renegade Culture. We got Naka on the on the uh, the tables the over the Yes, yeah. yes, yes. With his stolen Asian daishiki. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> oh, excuse me, not stolen. His liberated. Liberated, liberated. Take it Juneteenth in. Juneteenth in. See, Juneteenth yeah. is like yes. in August 4th or something like that. You know what I'm I, I think I think he changed it, changed the date on it as well. I think he has. Y'all done? <laughs> a lot of uh, ear doctor. You know what I'm saying? That's how we do it. The weird doctor. Anyway. That's how we do. <laughs> Renegade anyway. Coach, we right back after these messages. Bam. That's right. They call us haters, but we save this to you, Negro kids. I'm burning all this bullshit down. Put that on everything. Put that on everything. I swear on everything. My black, white, black, white seeds and everything. Y'all need a spot for what I write. It's everything. On everything. Fuck with me, homes. I'm showing everything. On everything. What's happening? Renegade coaches in the building. Word, word. Um, we're back again. Uh, I don't even know what episode this is. We've done so many. So um, episode I'm, like 850. Some, somewhere probably. We've been now. on for like 12 years now. Oh, man. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it feels like it. It feels <laughs> like it. But um, also, I want to, uh, you know, remind folks to go to YouTube. We, have, uh, we had a panel discussion the other day. It was pretty on point. Um, organizing 101. Um, building the people's army, you know, so if you want to check it out, go to YouTube, you know, the links on there, uh, just type it in. Um, aside from that, we have, uh, another situation coming up soon. Um, in the next couple of days, decentralization of police and public safety, our man, mm-hmm. the Ben Wahab. So when you hit, by the time you hear this, you'll probably have, uh, you'll probably be on board with this, checking it out. But anyway, right. tonight we have a special guest in the building. Um, he is an author, author of several books, you know, he's out of the Baltimore area, area, All excuse right. me. Um, and he's been putting it in for a while. You know, we've been checking him out. Uh, John Potash is the author and producer of the book and film drugs and drugs as weapons against us, the CIA's war on musicians and activists, and also the book, the FBI war on Tupac Shakur and black leaders, which is a book and film. John, what's happening, man? How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on, Kalanji and Kamal. Hey, man. Hey, I see you got a good book collection behind you, too. I see me and you are the only two there on the show to read. So, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Kalanji just like, he's trying to block. He's like, you know, he's in his childhood room. So he's trying to block hey. off his like toy <laughs> selection. Come on. I, th- so I thought that was that. his wallpaper. I didn't know those were books. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure what he's doing back there. No, you're talking about you, brother. But anyway, <laughs> so John, um, Kamal's currently holed up in the library. So, you know, don't, don't even try. <laughs> anyway. Um, good to have you on, man. We've been, you know, hearing about your stuff for quite a while. You know, um, you know you've been putting that work as a researcher. Um, so we wanted to bring you on and talk to you. And, uh, you know, Pac's birthday's coming up. What is it? Like, uh, number 49. You know, yeah. so you think it'd be a good time. good time. Yeah, actually, yeah, this is 49. Next year, 50, sure. Yeah. 50's okay. a big one. Yeah. So let's yeah. start a little bit with, like, you know, so there's a lot of folks. If The black community's been split, right, on... Um, what happened with Tupac in terms of his, his assassination and or killing, right? Mm-hmm. Some folks are squealing in the camp that Tupac was 
uh, targeted by the police and federal authorities, um, FBI uh, in particular, uh, for assassination. And some are just like, hey, Pac got killed because he got caught up in gang life, right? So yeah. how, how do you like, and so how do you dispel, well, what do you have in terms of information to start off with sure. that would yeah. suggest that the FBI would have been interested in Tupac in the first place, right? To, yeah. uh, to target him for an assassination. Yeah, well, my first book I said, I thought it was the FBI, but in my second book, I clearly found the reasons why it was the CIA also involved. And um, so I'll start with the fact that when, by the time Tupac was uh, 17 years old, I talked to his business manager, Watani Tayahimba, who was the founding member of the New African People's Organization and was a former uh, Los Angeles Black Panther. And Watani said that uh, Tupac was the youngest ever elected chairman of the New African Panthers. And they were active in uh, eight to 10 cities around the country. And they were like the young adult section of the New African People's Organization. And they were trying to replicate uh, the original Black Panthers uh, just without you know, making the same mistakes is the way uh, Tupac and others put it. Um, and so he was already a national black leader before he even became a rapper. So when he started to add wealth and fame and you know, influence to that national black leadership, it made him ever more dangerous. And the more you know, wealth and fame and influence he had, the more sophisticated the targeting became. And so I document, um, you know, in my book and films, the fact that um, there were, you know, an estimated at least uh, six attempts to, you know, to kill him by U.S. intelligence before they actually succeeded even. Um, and so the first time was, uh, you know, supposedly he was arrested supposedly for jaywalking and they choked him unconscious, beat his head against the curb and, um, and I showed two examples how people died in police custody you know, under, with those means, with those police behaviors. And uh, this is for jaywalking. You know? I mean, this is, you know, it's obviously it was right after, it was several days after his uh, song Trapped had a worldwide MTV release, all right? So then uh, the next time there was a drive-by on his limousine as he was uh, going from his premiere of the movie Juice, which was, you know, a major film release um, from the premiere to the party. There was a drive-by on his limousine. I showed the examples of uh, undercover police doing a drive-by in that area before when a, um, a witness to a major police brutality case. And then there's a situation at Marin City, at the Marin City Festival, a 50th anniversary of the Marin City Fest. And um, at, that, at that event, people uh, shot at him uh, for, for no reason, unprovoked, in front of police officers, and then tried to beat him um, unconscious. He, he basically crawled under a police car to save himself. And this was all, all three of these incidents were under, while Richard Held was the supervisor, FBI supervisor for the area. Now, Richard Held had um, been involved in targeting uh, Tupac's godfather, which was, you know, Geronimo Pratt. And then Richard Held further played a major part in, in uh, organizing the infiltration of uh, John Rowe Pratt's legal defense to uh, stop it from being successful. Tupac, in the, in meanwhile, was uh, organizing benefits for his godfather, John Rowe Pratt, musical benefits, you know, rap benefits at that time. 
Tupac was also, um, you know, consulting with Huey Newton before he died. He was consulting with Geronimo, you know, what, when he was uh, heading the New African Panthers. So he was a major threat, you know, to the, to the authorities. By the time, you know, by 1991 of the Marin Fest, when he was targeted a third time, then you have him getting even bigger, you know, so he's going from a gold record to a platinum record and uh, all the, in these, you know, major motion pictures, you know, being more and more influential. And so then he's, he goes to, um, you know, Atlanta and police, uh, according to eyewitnesses, he just rolled down his window, said, what's going on when police were beating up a black motorist right in front of him. They immediately, three white cops, immediately ran over to his car, smashed, and this is according to eyewitnesses I interviewed, both what Tanya, Tanya Himba talked about this, and Tupac's cousin told me this, who was an eyewitness, smashed the window of his car with the butt of their gun and shot at him. He merely rolled out the back of his car, grabbed a security guard's gun behind him, and shot back in self-defense. So here he is, and these are and white witnesses that were watching, even described it, looked like a police mob, like a white mob attacking a black motorist, is what they, the way they described the way they ran it ran at Tupac's car. So Tupac then grabs you know, the gun, shoots back in self-defense, hits them in the butt and the leg, and uh, and gets off, you know? Yeah, he had white it, police it officers so getting off of it. Now, how did he get off it? The reason they got off of it is because it came out that these they had grabbed uh, they had stolen guns from the uh, you know a, a um, you know uh, evidence locker. Okay, so they used stolen guns and they called those guns, you know, in the, in a a separate Tupac trial, the New York trial, they got uh, Michael Warren, his lawyer, got them to admit that these are, you know, what you call throwaway guns. When you shoot someone, you know, for no reason, you just throw it away so it doesn't get traced back to you. So let, me, you let, me, let me cut yeah. in for a second because um, uh, uh, I, I want to skip forward just a little bit. But at sure. the time of, of Tupac, and again, I just, I'm trying to, I'm going to set the scene before we get really into sure. maybe who other, some of the, the figures. But what I'm curious about too, though, is in terms of playing devil's advocate or whatever. But at the time when Tupac was was killed slash assassinated, and he was, uh, you know, in Suge Knight's camp, um, and he was, it, it seemed to be because I, I'm, uh, you know, I used to be a member of the Malcolm X grassroots movement and New African People's Organization. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seemed that Tupac was moving away from, or not as involved in political activity. Um, so why do you think at the time that he was assassinated, more or less, that he was still or, or, or thought of to be a threat where maybe his political activity seemed to be diminishing, in my, in my sort of opinion, yeah. and not necessarily on the ascension in terms of, uh, you know, getting more politicized. Obviously, he was a very politicized person, but expressing that pol politics and so forth like that. Yeah, well, what he was doing is politics... Part, part of his political plan, his thug life plan was the plan that he created with Matulu Shakur, you know, um, who was, of course, a longtime political prisoner, great activist, um, acu used acupuncture to solve addictions in the Bronx. Anyway, and, and he started the Republic of New Africa. So Tupac came up with this plan. It was to pretend to be a gangster in order to appeal to gangs and politicize them. And so he was introducing the leaders of Bloods and Crips at gang truce picnics and getting them to uh, call peace truces and turn on to activism and stop drug dealing as much as possible. So this, this, this uh, you know, peace truce movement spread throughout the country to the point that the Latin Kings, the largest gang in New York, was, um, was you know, really inspired to join it 
and they gave up drug dealing. And I talked to King Tone, Antonio Fernandez, who was, you know, the head of Latin Kings. And he said he had joined the movement there. And, you know, articles came out about it. Uh, two professors in New York wrote a book about it. You know, they called, they changed their names to the Almighty Latin King and Queen Nation. This is a 3,000 strong gang that stopped drug dealing. And so in my book, uh, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, which I, you know, turned into a film, as you can see in the poster behind me, I have Catherine Austin Fitz describing why this is so in, important. She says that uh, basically cash going into stock stock markets and the, the stocks of these companies of these multinational companies are you know a lot most of this cash is laundered money when you know that comes from drug dealing so the drug dealer dealing cash is then laundered it's laundered through many companies including lots of fast food companies that cash in lots of banks i mean you know it's estimated united nations expert estimated that united states uh launders between 500 billion and a trillion dollars a year and most of that's drug money and so the, all that laundered money um, create is, can be multiplied by 20 or 30 times in the amount of value it raises for those stocks. And that's the way it works. So she says several drug dealers uh, just on the street each day in a year, they could raise uh, stock values you know, by millions of dollars, believe it or not. So here he's getting 3,000 uh, people, you know, gang members to stop drug dealing. And we're talking, so he, that, that alone, much less all the other gangs across the country that were joining this gang, Peace Truce, truce, truce Movement, and stopping drug dealing, was costing the banks and the other laundering companies billions and billions. We're talking about tens of billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so that was a major threat to them and their profits. Okay. Let's stop here. We're going we're gonna, to uh, take a break. So I just want to make two uh, minor corrections. Um, one is, Abutani was a member of RAM. Uh, but he wasn't a member of the Black Panther the, Party. No, it was the Ram-based Black Panthers. Yeah. They, Ram yeah. had their own version of the Black yeah. Panthers. It wasn't the same Black Panther Party that okay. Newton was part of, yeah. but it was the Ram-based Black Panthers, yes. And two, that makes it like, so, um, and... Um, uh, yeah. Say it yeah. again? Yeah. The Republic yeah. of New Africa was, was uh, started, obviously, in 68 by yeah. um, the Milton brothers and... And of course, um, uh, Matulu joined the joined the, the yeah. But Matulu Shakur was part of the uh, you know, the uh, he was part of the oh, revolutionary. Yeah. I mean, the you know, uh, Republic of New Africa. Africa. Yeah, I just want to be clear though. He didn't start it, but he was part. Okay, of it. yeah, he was yeah, a, yeah. just a founder. He joined it. Joined at age fourteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. But we want to come back because we want to get we want to get deeper into now uh, sure. when we come back. Uh, who actually killed Tupac? We we're laying out the reasons why. Who killed mm -hmm. Who killed Tupac? Um, and the evidence that you have to, to show that, right? Right, Renegade you know, culture. Yes. We headed for the times of the nine, watch out six. Sun cycle on the rise, moon cycle out the mix. Living on this planet of the snakes and the crucifix. Pardon self as I arc my way through marching with my A-boom boom making my debut. Like great balls of fire, nothing to save you when you're replenishing times. I honor my dead, making my ancestors proud when it's off with your head. Renegade coaches in the building. Um, you just heard Wrath of the Siafu, which produced by the FTP movement. If you haven't heard Wrath of the Siafu, go to YouTube, Wrath of the Siafu. It has uh, 11 of the dopest MCs you want to hear and see. And, um, you know, it's fire, so make sure you check it out. We're sitting here with John Patash here today. And John's laying out um, the revolutionary history of Tupac Shakur and also um, info on his assassination and uh, 
you know, we want to get down to the nitty gritty. John, I know that both of your books, the titles are like uh, five miles long. Can you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you lay the titles out? Because I tried to yeah. try to lay it out. And it was like, man, you, you uh, named um, everybody in the history of music. Yeah, it's just so that people can, can understand what it's about because there's so much censorship of my books that when okay. people see the subtitle, at least they know what it's about without people distorting it, which happens a lot. But okay. the subtitle of the first book is, you know, it's the FBI war on Tupac Shakur and black leaders. And the subtitle is U.S. Intelligence's murderous targeting of Tupac, MLK, Malcolm, Panthers, Hendrix, Marley, rappers, and linked ethnic leftists. And it's also, of course, that people can, if they do a search for someone, they can find the book too, you know, the words can, can bring it up and for drugs as weapons against us this the subtitle is the cia's murderous targeting of sds panthers hendrix lennon cobain tupac and other activists now hold it now you're saying the, the u.s government was involved in the killing of uh bob marley and Jimi hendrix yes i gotta hear about the Jimi hendrix thing i, I, I need to do a quick cut to jimmy why yeah, would the why would the why was the government uh involved in Jimi hendrix's uh killing and, yeah, and again, but, as people, it's, I guess it's the common stories, right? He died, um, uh, I so, guess, after yeah. drug use or drinking and, right. and, and they said he choked on his vomit. At least that's, right. that's the public story. What right. are you saying happened? Yeah, well, and he wasn't political at first. When Black Panthers talked to him, he, he, refu you know, he, didn't, he wasn't interested in supporting them at first. But then in 1968, with Martin Luther King's assassination, he got really depressed and really political. And... Um, and then he started dedicating his, his last album to the Black Panthers. He did interviews talking about why you need the Black Panthers. Um, and he started getting very political. He talked to Bob Dylan about forming a peace movement and trying to start an anti-war movement with Dylan. And, you know, and they were mutual friends. Uh, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones asked if him and John Lennon wanted to form a super group. And Brian Jones was a founder of the Rolling Stones and was the you know, most talented musician and was also like him and Jagger were the most political of the Rolling Stones and John Lennon, of course, was the most political of the Beatles. And so he was a threat in a number of ways at that point when he started getting so political. And so um, when he died, um, it was very similar to Tupac in the sense that they both uh, had managers that were placed in their lives to control them. Now, what Tiny Tai Himba said when, um, you know, when Suge Knight and Dave Kenner, you know, Dave Kenner was the real owner of Death Row Records, the lawyer, the white Jewish you know, mob lawyer. He basically, uh, they, those two controlled Death Row Records. They came in and they uh, tried to get Tupac to join them, you know, consistently way, you know, very early. And what Tiny Hima told me, he didn't understand why they're offering him so much money for a single and things like that. And then, of course, you know, he realized that it was about controlling Tupac the same way Mike Jeffrey, a former British MI6 agent, and uh, all evidence shows he wasn't former. He continued to be MI6, you know, British CIA. And uh, he completely controlled, tried to control uh, Jimi Hendrix. And within 48 hours of firing Mike Jeffrey, he died, Hendrix. And all the, you know, there's so much foul play around his death. And the best evidence is that, you know, he, he actually was murdered. Um, and because he was becoming so political and because he was, you know, uh, finally getting rid of his the person controlling him, uh, Mike Jeffrey. And he was actually, uh, Jeffrey had him uh, kidnapped by, by mafia for several days, then pretended to get him free by, you know, stronger mafia, he said. And that was like just another version of trying to control him because he was trying to fire Mike Jeffrey for so long. Okay, so you, are you suggesting that uh, 
you know, playing uh, what we call Cracker's Advocate. Are you suggesting that um, that once these uh, black uh, African individuals, African-American individuals uh, reach a certain status and they have those politics, then the state pretty much uh, hones in on them and are interested in, you know, uh, eliminating the threat or diminishing definitely. the threat? Oh, definitely. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And Bob Marley, I mean, with Marley, um, you know, I talked to Black Panther Lee Lu Lee, who, who wrote, who did the great film, All Power to the People. Um, and uh, he was doing, he was a great, he was a former, you know, half Asian, half black, Black Panther, who went to cinematography, won awards for cinematography. And he was doing, on the film team for uh, doing, you know, uh, the film about uh, Bob Marley's concert, famous concert right before the elections. And that concert was going to be considered, you know, when he did that to promote the uh, socialist leader of, you know, of Jamaica at the time, who was running against a guy who the CIA pushed. And um, so right before the concert, first there was a shooting at Bob Marley's house. Marley was shot. His wife was shot. His manager, Don Taylor, was shot. And so uh, the president, um, who was friendly with, got him, you know, hold him up in an encampment, a Rasta encampment to uh, keep him safer. And so Lee 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 said that when, when uh, he went to, into that encampment to film him, there was a new guy on his film team. And that new guy, uh, he didn't think much of him at first, but then he gave Bob Marley some gift shoes. And so Bob Marley tried on the boots, these gift boots, because that's like just the custom when you're Rasta custom is to try on a gift immediately if you're giving it to it. And he got jabbed in the toe by some kind of sharp metal object. And he didn't think, no one thought anything much of it at first, but a month or two later when he was playing soccer, that toe got crushed and they found because it was filled with cancer. And so I found the CIA documents that they were working on, um, you know, these uh, hyper um, metastasizing chemicals, you know, basically these chemicals that can cause cancer very fast. And, um, and they perfected that actually. And so I believe, you know, the thinking is that they actually got him, you know, after trying to kill him with bullets, and, you know, and, this, and some of the guys that were involved in shooting Bob Marley were even caught by some of the Rastas and they admitted, they said the CIA paid us to try to kill uh, Bob Marley. So then with the uh, stabbing in the toe, he did get cancer in the toe. It spread throughout his body and of course he died young. And so it came out that that guy who in, uh, got into that, that um, you know, film team was actually a CIA member. And he was actually the uh, son of the CIA, the CIA director's son. And so I have all that in my book um, about that. But yeah, that's, that's the way it was done. I know that um, you also talked about uh, Paul Robeson in your book. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of folks aren't familiar with, with Paul Robeson from a political uh, point of view. And I want you to do two things. I want you to talk about the importance of Paul Robeson as far as from your research in, in, the, uh, in the black community and also in the human rights community. And I mean, Paul Robeson's probably one of the most amazing men in, in world history. I mean, guy could speak over 20 languages. He uh, got a Columbia University law degree at a time when, you know, they, he was probably the only black person allowed in Columbia University Law School. Um, you know, he, uh, he was an amazing athlete, you know, uh, top football player, top lacrosse player, 
and uh, considered really one of the best singers in the world, if not the best singer in the world. Um, just an amazing man. And, you know, of course, in films. And he uh, was a very serious activist, beloved by unions all across the, you know, the country, uh, beloved by, by, you know, activists across the world. And um, he fought for anti-lynching legislation. He, you know, he fought for all kinds of civil rights, you know, did all kinds of civil rights work, but really talked and spoke and sung for um, all kinds of activist causes for, for everybody, for, you know, workers around the world um, and oppressed peoples around the world. They, um, they took away his passport at different times, you know, they, um, and so the worst thing they did, of course, which is uh, one of the first, you know, major activist I talk about that was targeted with LSD was they dosed his drinks when he was at a hotel in Russia about three weeks before he was going to meet with Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. Uh, it was 1961 and they gave him a massive dose of either LSD or, um, or a, a super psychedelic called, I think it was DMT or BZ I'm sorry. Um, but they uh, gave him this super psychedelic, and this is according to his son, Paul Robeson Jr., who was an adult at that time. And so Paul Robeson Sr. thought he was losing his mind, you know, because he didn't know about LSD at that time. And so he called his family. Uh, Paul Robeson Jr. went over there to, to Russia to see what was going on. Paul Robeson Jr. got dosed with that super psychedelic, but he was lucky just to take a little sip of the drink so he wasn't dosed as badly. And, um, but they did it to him, to Paul Robeson again and again. And finally they convinced his wife to, uh, have him admitted to a hospital, mental health hospital. At that point, they gave him, uh, over 50 doses of electric convulsive shock treatment at overly high doses and ruined his mind, sadly enough. And he didn't want to be remembered that way, you know, you know, beyond his normal, really, you know, brilliant self. And so he became a recluse after that. So they effectively shut him down. It's very sad. But um, that's just some of the ways that the uh, CIA's MKUltra program targeted, uh, right. you know, the great activists. And um, so my book, Drugs and Weapons, you know, talks a lot about that, that target. Explain MKUltra for the, the, the folks who, you know, the first time they come on the show or they're, they're unfamiliar with the CIA's dirty tricks. But also I want you to touch on, along with Paul Robeson, you had uh, folks like Fidel Castro who were targeted as well with this whole MKUltra program. Can you kind of give us a... Uh... Yeah, well, of course they tried to assassinate. I mean, even the U.S. You know, Senate Church Committee admitted they tried to assassinate you know, Fidel Castro at least a dozen times. But it was really you know, closer to 50 to 100 times they, they tried to assassinate him in different ways. But they also targeted him. I mean, they had in their documents, in the CIA documents, this came out on an ABC newscast at one point, that in the CIA documents, they had Fidel Castro and Che Guevara on their, their acid hit list, their LSD hit list. They were going to use, they were going to try to aerosolize LSD and, and uh, spray it on them and make them, you know, like uh, trip and either think they're losing their minds or hurt, hurt their minds, you know, hurt their best thinking. Uh, because a lot of the evidence shows that uh, psychedelics can hurt our best thinking. And, you know, used again and again, it can really start to erode our best thinking. It can really, um, you know, spark some uh, feelings of psychosis. And sometimes they can last, that these feelings of psychosis. And uh, the best evidence is, I mean, I, you know, I feel like I hurt my mind with just a half dozen trips in my first year of college. And 
thankfully got away from it, never, you know, would never go back to it. But I've seen, I've counseled, I do counseling for a living and started with drug counseling. I've been doing it for 30 years, but my first eight years were drug counseling, then mental health counseling in general, plus, you know, some addictions counseling. Um, and I've seen too many people, you know, with, uh, that tried too much LSD that just really were, you know, kind of out there losing their minds a bit, sadly enough. And they, uh, so MK Ultra was the use of drugs, according to their own documents, use of drugs as unconventional warfare. Now, when we think of warfare, we think on foreign battlefields, but according to their documents and according to all the people they targeted, the U.S. and England, you know, activists, left-wing activists in the U.S. and England were their targets, was their, war, you know, uh, warfare. And uh, Paul Robeson was one of those targets, and a number of other people, of course, I have in my book were other targets. Now, they particularly, now, you know, they target a lot of activists in general, but they particularly targeted musicians, I argue, because the CIA wants to uh, control our hearts and minds. They know they can't control us all physically because we so outnumber them, you know, the 99%. So they try to control our hearts and minds through propaganda, but they also try to control our musicians and uh, manipulate our musicians to promote things they want them to promote. And then when they start to get too political, they try to neutralize them. Either they try to scare them into uh, submission or they kill them if they're not, you know, if they don't uh, stop doing their activism. And that's why I show, you know, how I show they, I believe they targeted people like Tupac, of course, but Jimi Hendrix also, John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, uh, they killed Brian Jones, I show, I mean, you know, I have people on tape saying that he, that he was, you know, a pers the person, one of the people that killed Brian Jones admitted he did it on his deathbed, you know, drowned him, and uh, he was the founder of the Rolling Stones, they neutralized Mick Jagger with, with uh, death threats and death, you know, and murder attempts. Um, and, and other great musicians and, and other great activists. Of course, they targeted the Black Panthers and the Students for a Democratic Society, which was the largest anti-war movement in the country at, in 1969. It was about 100,000 strong. We, we have to go to a quick break, but when we come back, you know, you, you spark some uh, interesting things in, the, in the, the latter part of the convo. Uh, we know that, um, you know, there's an uprising going on right now across the, across the country, across the world. And there are a number of artists who are, um, you know, the, the, the line is being drawn in the sand. You know what I mean? The line of demarcation is being drawn and some artists are over here, some artists over there, and some artists believe that there's neutrals in war, which we know they're not. So we want to get into that particular aspect and also some of the things that you've seen or witnessed on the streets that you can kind of tie back to some of your research with these activists and artists. Sure. I wanted to also add quickly, and I'm not sure if you have an opinion on this, that, you know, there's a lot of folks post-Ferguson who were involved, young people, and there's been speculation that some of their deaths were not just random, um, unrelated uh, deaths, but somehow tied to their, um, their activity as organizers and activists. But I don't want you to answer now, but Muna, I want to come back and ask yeah. about that. Yeah, and, sure. Obviously, and, and we want to finish up, too, on, on Tupac. Uh, sure. What actually happened to him, I think. So, sure. uh, so we're gonna come back in a second. Renegade culture, no sure. doubt. There's no feeling like the true knowledge of yourself. With Kuji Chakalia shots from the top shelf. You know you're winning when you're raising all your children right. I see my little girl locks long, grinning bright. I'm a gorilla at it. 
nigga, here's the ratchet. Open my mouth, hollow tip, spit out, they get it. Give a fuck what they think, Geronimo credit. A G-jogger, a G-bob, a supreme cotter, yes. Renegade culture back at you. You know what I mean? Just heard my man Mike Flo, the DJ for Dead Prez and MC out of Chicago as well. You know, and you can also catch him in the Wrath of Siafu, that shameless plug right there for the FTP movement, which is just very seamless indeed. But you know. yes, I mean, 16 years, just had a 16 year commemoration. Oh, so I got to gotta shout it out. You, know you, are, I mean? you were an MC, right? For briefly? Me? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Bit. Of course. I, I noticed nobody ever targeted you, but that's another discussion. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. They were like, this kid ain't got no they're, talent. They're, he ain't going nowhere. So oh, man. Yes. Uh, Red skeleton, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, uh, John, what's happening, man? You all right what's over up? there? Well, Kamali, they did target Kalanji because I saw the video of him in Aruba getting attacked oh. by the new Black Panther Party. That's oh, what I got. Oh, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, hey. That, that's an actual fact. You said yeah, uh, they did target, <laughs> and I'm glad not because I'm glad. of his not because of his musical talent. Let's just be clear. About that. <laughs> hey, but, but 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 I'm glad you put in perspective. I'm glad you put in perspective <laughs> but, who uh, sponsored the attack. But they, um, yeah. So it's interesting because that's that's actually how Kalanji um, contacted me this time is because I just posted something. I posted that video of him in Daruba giving that press conference. Because what seems to be happening is the the police are kind of uh, anointing these fake you know, black leaders of these, of some in you know, Columbus, Ohio, they found that some group called themselves Black Freedom. They, you know, they first became a group about two or three days before the protest started. And all of a sudden the police are saying, we're going to talk to Black Freedom as the organizers of the, uh, you know, marches and all the other, you know, long-standing black organizations in, in Columbus, right? Who are these people? These people, you know, they, no one knows who they are. No one knows these people. Yeah. And so, the new Black Panther Party, obviously, uh, I, I saw I have a picture. I had a picture of one of the new Black Panther Party arm in arm with one of the police chiefs in Atlanta. It was very bizarre. And um, of course, you know, we know how what happened with Kalanji. But if your listeners don't know, um, they tried to kill uh, one of the Black Panther 21, Daruba Bin Wanhad and Kalanji, uh, when they tried to confront, you know, the leadership of the new Black Panther Party. Mm. Now, they've... Um, They've well, left, they left messages on my phone. They've uh, tried to friend me on Facebook and send me things and invite me to things. And uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested, of course, because there's, they scare me. Mm -hmm. uh, former Black Panther George Edwards, who Kathleen Cleaver introduced me to, um, was a New Haven Black Panther leader. He's in my book and film. But he said that he worked hard to try to transform the leader of the new Black Panther Party and he feels like he got really far and that he was starting to really adopt the original Black Panthers uh, platform and all that. And then he was murdered. And who becomes the new leader? You know, Malik Shabazz and uh, with his, you know, baggage and with his murderous uh, actions, obviously, against Daruba and Kalanji and others. And so, um, yeah, but anyway, so back to what you were saying about some people in Black Lives Matter and people were revealing things about this police brutality. Person, you know, just as an example, the person that filmed Eric Garner getting murdered was murdered himself later. Uh, is, my, is my understanding. That's what I heard about him. The person that filmed it, you know, when his no, no. camera, or was he was he jailed? He was in prison. He was he was in jail. Jail. I'm sorry, he was in jail. He was yeah. in prison. I think the, the news is that he just he just recently got out of he prison, was in prison. After I'm sorry. several years. Yeah, but he was he was in prison. You know, when trumped up charges, I'm sure. Um, and then that's kind of yeah, it's basically what they're doing is they're they're 
targeting who they need to target, you know, in the movement in different places and annoying people who, who really, you know, are pseudo activists. And that's the sad part. I mean, the good part of it is that every, so many people are getting involved in, in the Baltimore March, it was probably 70 or 80% white and there was thousands marching, you know, in one of the Baltimore marches um, that I was, I was involved in. And uh, some, some, you know, many great activists around the city were involved. And luckily there was no violence in Baltimore uh, in terms of police brutality that I saw. But um, in other cities, police brutality was terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, we're hearing all kinds of horrible things happening in New York, of course, and, and all over, you know, people getting shot in the eyes with, you know, with rubber bullets. They're shooting, you know, journalists even too with rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, some awful stuff they're doing. So, yeah. Right. So let's. Oh, no, I was going to say quick, so I, I, want to, I want to circle back around to Tupac sure. because I want, I want to um, uh, talk about his actual death and, and so yeah. forth. So, again, you know, I think the public story, what, what, what folks for the most part have seen or from some of these crime drama shows have pieced together that, you know, there was a, there's a feud um, in terms of gang warfare. Uh, Tupac was in Vegas. He uh, potentially participated in beating one gang member up. And that gang member supposedly or allegedly uh, sought revenge, and hence the sort of the drive-by shooting that led to Tupac's assassination. So that's the public story that most people either believe and/or have heard of. And then there's also these uh, the background stories like, oh, but maybe he was targeted, or maybe a, a, a cop was involved, or something like that. Could you lay out um, who you think killed Tupac? Um, yeah. You've talked about why, but who you think was responsible for Tupac's killing? Yeah, so by that point, so he had, he had a two-record deal, or I'm sorry, a three-record, three-CD deal. The contract called for three CDs with Death Row Records. When he did a double CD and then he came out with, this, you know, the third CD, um, he, he got into literally physical fight with uh, Suge Knight saying, I've done my contract, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm leaving Death Row. He'd already started his new record company, Euthanasia. He had... Um, former Black Panther, uh, Yasmin Fula, heading his new record company, Euthanasia. And, uh, and she was involved, him and Faini were involved in his new film company that he had started. He was getting tons of film offers to do t- you know, tons of new movies. Um, and he was breaking from death row. He was trying to get rid- you know, away from death row. He had, he had uh, already gotten a new, you know, a new apartment. He was getting out of his death row apartment. He was, uh, yeah, he was taking, and he took home tons of his masters today. He was working on songs and Dave Kenner, you know, ordered him to, uh, you know, bring him back. He got into a fight with Dave Kenner over that, but you know, that was his signal. He had fired Dave Kenner as his lawyer. So it was, he was getting away from death row. And, um, so uh, a few days before he was supposed to go to Las Vegas, his, um, one of his bodyguards, Kevin Hackey, I argue turned, he was a, he was also working, he was working for the FBI undercover, Kevin Hackey, and he was, you know, a police officer, and he was moonlighting for Death Row Records. Now, I, I, sh- I showed the evidence that he turned on the FBI, and he said, he told, he warned Tupac not to go to Vegas. And Tupac uh, first, you know, agreed with him. He says he won't go to Vegas, and, you know, uh, Hackey convinced him to go to Atlanta to be with his, uh, you know, Watani Tai Himba and his, you know, his extended Black Panther family, basically. Um, but the a judge, he had had a court case, uh, where someone in his car had marijuana on him. He got caught with that. That, that could have violated his parole. The judge like just said, well, I, you know, you seem to be such an amazing, 
individual after reading a, a kind of bio of him in a report that was written about him, they said, I'm just going to, um, you know, go by what your lawyer requested and I'm just going to make you do a benefit concert and that's it. And, but the benefit concert was that night when he was killed and that was at club 666 or 663 or whatever it was, 662. And that was right after the Mike Tyson fight. But even though, you know, he was friends with Mike Tyson and wanted to see him, he was not going to go to that Tyson fight because he was so worried because he had been warned. Um, Hacky was fired immediately when Chuck Knight and Dave Kenner found, and, and um, I'm sorry, the, uh, their, uh, Reggie Wright Jr. found that, you know, he had told Tupac not to go to Vegas. They immediately fired Hacky. They ordered all the, all the guards who were, you know, police officers not to carry guns that night. They gave them uh, cell phones that didn't work. They, um, you know, and so in Vegas, now in Vegas, uh, what happened was the top crime reporter in Vegas, as Kathy Scott said, the police committed so many bizarre things. They did so many bizarre things in investigating that it was just, she's never seen anything like it. It's supposed to be the, the, one of the biggest murders in you know, Vegas history. And they're, they're not, uh, gathering, you know, putting, detaining all the witnesses. They're not collecting all the evidence. They're not using a copter to investigate. Russell Poole ends up finding, investigating. He's a Los Angeles police detective who just happened to uh, start investigating. And he found that, you know, he ended up concluding that, uh, that his fellow police officers murdered Tupac. Um, and they said they, he murdered, he was assigned to the Biggie Smalls investigation. They said they murdered Biggie as, um, to take the eyes off of their real murder of Tupac, okay? Um, just to make it look like an East Coast, West Coast conflict that caused the murders. So wait a minute, wait, really, a minute wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that they killed Biggie to cover up. You're saying the, the, yeah. the, the, are you saying the CIA and or FBI killed Biggie to cover up the Tupac or to distract from the Tupac killing? Yes, yes, to make it look like an East Coast, West Coast rivalry murders. Because the real thing, the real important murder was Tupac because of, of his incredible you know, activist leadership and what he was planning to do when he left death row. He was already telling people what he was going to do. He was already uh, organizing with Sanika Shakur. Sanika Shakur is a former you know, Crips gang leader. Um, you know, it used to be called Monster Cody Scott, you know, that famous book Monster and all. Um, and uh, so he was already organizing with, with Sanika. Sanika told me all about this. Um, you know, did a long interview with, with, you know, long talk with Sanika, and we had letters back and forth. And uh, Sanika, and they planned on, on creating community centers and doing other things, but part of it was the gang uh, peace truce movement that was going to take tons of drugs off the streets and really hurt the, you know, it really affect billions and billions of dollars of profits for the you know, money laundering banks and the other you know, companies that were money laundering. And we're talking about the, you know, these banks have been caught you know, laundering hundreds of of billions of dollars a year. You know, this has come out in the newspapers about that HSBC, uh, JP Morgan Chase, et cetera. And Tupac was seriously putting a dent into that with his gang peace truce movement. So besides trying to politicize other rappers and, uh, you know, having a real, you know, politicizing gangs in general and all that, you know, just gangs and, and the populace in general, I mean, yeah. Let me ask you this, John. Um, sort of off subject, because I know that some of our listeners, uh, when they see this, they're gonna be like, okay, who is this white dude that's talking about Tupac and, 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 and Bob Marley and, and, and hip hop and Paul Robeson, so on and so forth. For the listeners, what drove you to, what made you decide to uh, get into this particular 
you know, coming from this big language? Well, my father, uh, my grandfather was a, was a Marxist uh, lawyer who had represented Black Panthers in New York and had gotten off uh, some other, you know, there's a lot of different factions of Black Panthers in New York. He got off some of them in, uh, in a certain area of New York. And he was, um, and so he just, my grandfather politicized me a bit. So I became an activist um, after having a drug problem in the beginning of college, as I mentioned. Um, and so I, I started working, my first job was as an addictions counselor right out of college. And so I started seeing what was going on with all the corruption and with drugs and you know, people telling me that you know, the government's the biggest dealer of drugs and all that and researching it uh, that way. I was working on the book Drugs as Weapons Against Us starting in 1989 when I was doing this you know, drug addictions counseling. And then um, when someone told me, well, my father was a Black Panther killed by the police, I, um, I took a special interest in the Panthers, uh, researching them, them and, and ran into what was going on with the New York Black Panthers and what was going on with Tupac. So I took a, a, just a, a diversion from the Drugs as Weapons Against Us book and because I called Michael Tariq Warren, Tupac's New York trial lawyer, and said, it looks like the, uh, the FBI is targeting him like his Black Panther family. And um, no one, you know, he says, yes, and no one's writing about it. And so I'm, I'm really glad you want to write an article on this. So he gave me a two-hour interview and told me all about, you know, what he, he his agreement with me that, you know, that there appeared to be FBI targeting of uh, him. We came out, I came out with an article in spring of 1995 before Tupac died. Um, on that, on you know, what looked like a latter-day COINTELPRO targeting of, but none of the white uh, activist media would, would they just didn't, wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't take it on. The only one that was, seemed like they might be interested was Covert Action Quarterly, but there was an infiltrator of the magazine who kept me from giving it to the uh, main editors, and he kept saying, oh, they, we, we all turned it down, and uh, you know, he was like, go after that, this guy, but either way, uh, finally, when Covert Action Quarterly uh, found out about my original article and I, I expanded that. They they published it in 1998, um, and so you know that that's just basically what got me into it. And then of course um, I thought, okay, well Tupac is such a major important figure, and to me, whether black or white's not the issue. His issue is he had my politics. We had the same politics. You know, he was a uh, you know a socialist, you could say, or a, you know Marxist in some sense. And uh, yeah, I thought through him, I could get, you know, a real history of uh, the great, you know, black activist, you know, movements that no one's talking about through him, people would, would start, you know, to listen and actually read about the Black Panthers more. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of activists have told me that their kids wouldn't read about the Panthers until I wrote that, you know, they read my Tupac book. Well, I'm interested in this part. Like, so, um, uh, what do you, if, if Tupac wasn't assassinated, let's say, that's, you know, it's hard to predict what history would have given us and so forth with any, any either great leader or artist or so forth. But um, if Tupac wasn't assassinated, uh, I'm interested in your, at least in your opinion, based on your interviews that you've done and folks you've talked to, what do you think he would have been 20 years, 25 years post his assassination in terms of either his work or his relevance to movement activity? Yeah, I mean, I think he would have been, had, you know, in the, the kind of influence that the greats, like, you know, believe it or not, I think Malcolm X, Martha King uh, had because he just, because of the way he brought so much other, uh, other kinds of talent into it, besides just the, the brilliant mind for the politics, but also the passion with the art, you know, and the music and the film 
he just would have been that influential, I believe. Um, and you know, granted, you know, you know, Quincy Jones, when he came out with that uh, book, you know, about Tupac um, through Vibe, you know, publishing, he said, you know, uh, when Malcolm X was, was 25, he was still just, um, you know, a street hustler. And uh, when Martha King was 25, he was just trying to be a, uh, you know, a preacher. And uh, here Tupac was, he was only 25 and he was already so influential and so political. And, you know, and he could have, he would have risen to even greater heights than he already did at the age of 25. We have we have a couple minutes left um, before we go to our outro. Um, I wanted to, you know, we, we, we kind of danced a little bit on what's going on today with the whole uprising, right? And you've researched uh, so many different um, influential entertainers, you know, some of them we're not going to be able to talk about during this particular, you know, in a short time. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's going on today? Um, well, you- I think... Yeah, I think the, the sad thing, the only, the only negative part of Tupac is that people don't realize that he was sobering up at the very end of his life. He was giving up uh, drugs and alcohol. People like um, Russell Simmons say he saw him at a party and everybody's smoking weed and drinking. And Tupac was the only one that wasn't touching alcohol or weed at all. And the sad thing is, and through my counseling, I'm seeing mothers crying to me about their kids that are in their early 20s and someone's putting crap in their weed. They're putting stuff in their weed that's, that's, making, the, that's making them lose their mind. It's either the spice or K2 or some other thing they're dosing them with in their weed that's making people lose their minds, particularly the black community. It's uh, for some reason, you know, this is what U.S. intelligence does. This is part of MKUltra. MKUltra is still happening, just under different names. It's obvious. And, um, and the sad thing is, is that some of these rappers um, are pushing things like Molly which was used in Mali's ecstasy, and that was used by the head of chemical warfare in South Africa against the black communities of South Africa. He was, you know, he was caught in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. His, the head of, it, of chemical warfare, Walter Basson's assistant, said, you know, Basson ordered me to manufacture a ton of ecstasy, and he was caught, and Basson was caught you know, delivering it to the black communities for dealers to distribute there. So that's the sad thing, that's the sad part of it. But um, yeah, I think they're still, they're, they're using all kinds of means to attack um, all of us with drugs still and, uh, and all kinds of horrible other you know, forms of repression. And we just have to be as creative and smart about it like you, know, like you do with you know, unveiling fake leadership like you did, Clonge, you and Daruba did in, in the best ways we can you know, and, and learn what's going on and, and expose it and just keep pushing for the uh, solidarity with the real activists. Definitely, definitely, uh, you know, a lot of heavy words and work for one show. I don't know how, you know, uh, your documentary, you, you, I mean, I don't know why it's like 19, why it's not like 19 hours because of the fact that you have so much information and we just did a quick hour, you know what I mean? Thanks. But, yeah, um, Drugs Weapons Against Us did get nominated for an Africa Movie Academy Award for Diaspora Documentary. I was very happy about that. So people are paying, some people are paying attention for sure. Now this, this, this documentary is the one that came out in 2018 or? Yeah, 2019, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA War on Musicians and Activists. I finally cut down the subtitle a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that, that shit, you can tell you've been around some, uh, some old school black folks because that shit was like (laughs) two miles long. I'm like, God damn, he had everybody name up in there. Put everything in there. Man, he, he said Beethoven. Kamal Franklin, uh, <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> Jimmy Iovine. I'm like, hold on. But anyway, um, 
yeah, so where can folks get uh get copies of the books? Where can they uh so yeah, the film, I mean, the books are supposed to be available. Like you can order it at, uh, through Barnes and Noble and see it first before you buy it. But um, the Tupac book is at independent stores. It's not places like Barnes and Noble, but you can also get it through me at um, johnpodash.com or, or fbiworldtupac.com. Um, but Drugs is Weapons Against Us, the film is available on a lot of platforms. It's available on Amazon Prime and a number of other places. Uh, the book is, I say, a number of bookstores, Drugs as Weapons, or you can get it through me uh, at johnpodash.com. Um, and FBI War on Tupac, both book and film, you can get at johnpodash.com. Amazon, for some reason, is barred my my Tupac film. I don't know why. They were selling some a lot. Reason. You know why. <laughs> and now they won't, they won't, they somehow won't let me sell it anymore. It's really bizarre. They act like it's out of stock and they won't let me stock it up again been a year or so so um i'm thinking about it. i let it i let it be free for about three years i let everyone see it for free and you know some some of those uh youtube you know versions of it uh the uh, hour and a half film got about you know over a million views but um at a certain point you know i thought well i really should you know try to sell this because make the money back because it did cost a lot of money to make of course but um now with amazon barring it i'm you know i might try to get it out there another way but uh you can get it from me from my website for sure and i'll send it to you Sounds or, good. Uh, a Sounds minimum good. Fee. Good. We, we're gonna, yeah we're gonna have you come back on uh definitely uh we appreciate you coming through um and you're, you're from like the drug capital of the east coast right baltimore Baltimore, yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey man I, I see why you talking about uh you know the war the war and uh you know i mean how this, this old drug war and everything so that that's uh that that's that's a real interesting piece. We gotta talk about that. Yeah, the guy that the guy that wrote the wire was working in in Baltimore City at the same time as I was doing drug counseling. So I knew his stories before I saw him in the wire. Oh, I heard wow. from people, yes, from a lot of people there. Yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy. We definitely appreciate you coming on Renegade Culture. You Thank you, I mean? John. Yeah, Great. it was really good information. Things so for people much. to chew on and talk about and debate over, even you know what I mean. So sure. yeah, we really think you. It was a good show, man. Thanks a lot. Great. Thanks for having me, you guys. Indeed. Take it easy. We're, we're going to go to this. No doubt. We're going to go to this quick break. Renegade Culture. Um, our guest was John Potash. And, uh, you know, definitely make sure you pick up his film, pick up the book. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the water's cold when you hear it from, uh, from, from the white dude. So we're glad the white dude today is on the right side of history. Anyway, <laughs> take it easy, John. We'll be back at All you. Right. Renegade Culture. Renegade coach in the building. Separating gods from the nigger men. Separating chicken heads from the heroines. They tell me constantly that I should change my content. You're just too conscious. Maybe you should narrow in. Rhyme more about that street like heroin. Make it amplify, glorify the hell you're in. But where the hell you been? Clearly you don't know me then. Spit flame, ethanol, Jada Pinkett set it off. Woo! Okay. Not, not complaining some, some, some joints tonight. Oh. Who's, Who's that artist? Who's that artist? Nayrubi Sela. Um, she's a, I think Nayrubi's out of New York, correct? Yeah. She's out, out of New York. She's actually a, a, a high school principal. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Dope, dope, dope artist. Yeah, but um, yeah, so we had John Potash on, on, the, uh, on the interview tip. That was a real heavy joint right there. I know, man. I couldn't get enough jokes in, particularly when you <laughs> talked about your run-in with the Do Black Panther Party. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, I was like, you know, it's first time that was mentioned on this show, whatever. I yeah, 
we, we usually limit our, our, our clown intake on who, which clowns we talk about and which ones we don't. So I usually don't talk about them punk motherfuckers. But shout out to them. They eat a dick sandwich. How about oh, God that? damn. No. Yeah, since, since we are talking about it. Nah, you know, you know, since he did say something, now you got to hey, let it all go. He did say it. Let me just say that. Huh? I said, you popping that Major Yang right now. Oh, no doubt, man. Oh, Heavy on the mayo with that sandwich for him. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, so oh, man, uh, John put out some, like you said. I mean, I, some of that stuff I've never heard of. Yes, like when he said that they kill, you know, my man Biggie to cover up Tupac. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta go pick up the book so I can run through it, and yeah. and you know, I got a yeah. lot of questions and shit like that. But it was it, some interesting it, information it, and shit he put out there, and some of it, some of it, obviously, I, you know, all of us already know some, some of the parts of that history, right? And right. can say that you know the FBI and the COINTELPRO and CIA have definitely, obviously, been um uh, assassins and killers of leadership all over the world so there's no reason to think that they couldn't do it uh the things that he said but right. i think you know he made some very serious charges people should go pick up the book and read through it and find out you know if they can validate some of the things that this man said in fact he referred to uh biggie's uh murder as collateral dam damage mm. You know what I mean? Which That's is crazy because Biggie's the best, was of course the better lyricist. So, you know. Yeah, we, we about to go. Yeah, we lost. Yeah, we lost. The Biggie. That's you know. real now. You know, I'm, just we, saying, we, I'm just saying. I'm just trying we, to bring we, up a, a point. We, we, we love Biggie. Shout out to Biggie and Pop. Better, you know better lyricists ain't had the best content. Okay. Yeah, he just, okay. but he was the best rapper of all time. But that's, yeah. you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. Lyricists, but not. You shouldn't content. treat a man like that as collateral damage. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, keeping it real, you know, we love Biggie, but Biggie was saying some. Real suspect shit too. You know what I'm saying? We're not gonna mention it mean, on this show right here. Fuck y'all. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Brooklyn's in the house. Fuck y'all. Yeah. Whatever. I I ain't gonna um, say F Brooklyn because I know you're not from there. Yo, did you get him? Are you did you get John uh, Renegade Culture T-shirt? Uh, yeah. We got. Okay. He'll get one. Are you gonna get one? Did you get yeah, your knocker? You see what you see? I got another dashiki on. Um, you know I'm saying, ooh, my chango over here, motherfucker, ain't still ain't coming through with my t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Yo, hey, yo. can y'all oh. see this? Probably yes, sold no. him for that denim jacket he got. I know, <laughs> looking like Duran Duran. <laughs> we out of here, man. Yo, renegade culture. We we'll be back next week, yo. Yes. Peace. Said Duran Duran. Oh, shirt. <laughs>